Hi, welcome back to Sibling Cinema. This is Dennis. And this is Bonnie. And we are here to discuss our number 60, 65, right? Is it 65? I don't know. I've yeah, lost count. I think this is 65 or the 65th Best Best Picture winner, according to our uh, that countdown that we're using. For more information on that, you can go to our trailer episode. And what movie are we discussing today? We are discussing Hamlet. Yes. From 1947. Is that right? Close. 48. 48. Yes. Okay. Yes. And just to say, I mean, the the story is uh, 400 years old, but we will be discussing the entire movie, so if you're sensitive to spoilers, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you might want to watch Hamlet first. Any version really will give the same spoiler, so I uh, wanted to uh, make a habit of doing that at the beginning of these podcasts. Just, uh, as it's actually interesting. I'm so used to saying 400 years with Shakespeare, but it's actually closer to 300 when this movie came out. It's oh, wow, 16, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, like 1601, which is yeah. really dated around there. So, yeah, what, what's your history with Hamlet? A very little. So I probably, I was unfamiliar with the story. So I remember we were, I don't know if we were saying it on the podcast, but I was trying to remember, I must have read it in high school, but, and maybe I did, but I don't recall it. So I was coming in pretty cold to this, although there are, of course, many familiar things that came up. I'm like, oh, that's from Hamlet. And, yes. you know, oh, that's from Hamlet, or, or oh, Hamlet got that from the Bible, or, <laughs> you know, whatever, but it, it's known. Yeah, yeah. I noticed, well, obviously, I'm very familiar with, uh, I was an English major, so I've read a lot of Shakespeare, particularly this play, but watching it this time, I, I just kind of noticed how many movie titles come out of this, with Leave Her to Heaven, Star oh. Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country, the What Dreams May Come, the Outrageous Fortune. I think there are a few others. I should have written them down. Yeah. So anyway, there, this particular movie I've seen. I think this is my third time. I think I actually did see it in high school when we were talking about Hamlet. Okay. This version. This version, yes. Just on your own, or did they show it in class? It was, no, it was Sony Class. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. A while ago, I, this is probably going to keep coming up here, but I did a retrospective on the 40s about six years ago, so I watched this one, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then this is my third time watching it. Yeah. Is this the only time a Shakespeare play has, what, one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the only time a production of a Shakespeare play has won. Right. Uh, West Side Story is based on Romeo right. and Juliet. Yes, right. Retellings. Yeah. Kind of make a distinction between like a hard adaptation and right. a soft right. adaptation. There might be better terminology for it. But, yeah, because no. this is really like what you would see in a theater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like if you look up Shakespeare movies you'll see West Side Story and Ten Things I Hate About You and The Lion King, but these are just kind of soft adaptations. Oh, okay, right. 
Um, later on, we can get into the Lion King thing because people say that's based on Hamlet. Yeah. Um, it's kind of pretty loosely based on Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. So, at any rate, uh, let's get into our time period, 1948. This is just six years after Mrs. Miniver, which we recently discussed. Right. Which, as you probably remember, is a love letter from Hollywood to the British people. Right. Essentially. Yes. Right. So not that much time has passed, but this is actually a period of um, some pretty serious anglophobia in the Hollywood system. And Wait, in nineteen uh, late 40s? Yeah. Why? There's some anti-British sentiment among, basically, among the studios and a lot of the trade reporters like Variety and, and stuff because the British post-war the British film industry had a really solid boom making a lot of really popular movies cut into the European market that Hollywood had cornered for okay. decades and they would cut into the American market too because they'd be very popular over here movies like Brief Encounter Great Expectations Henry V and earlier Olivier Shakespeare adaptation, I think from '45. I don't know if you've heard of any of those, but I mean, were... I know some of the novels. So yeah, great, great expectations. expectations right? So th- these were pretty big hits in the United States, and they got a lot of critical acclaim and got some um, major Oscar nominations. Huh. which would be controversial. Just people in the industry saying, "Hey, wait a minute." The, Studios are funding the academy, and you know, why wow, shouldn't they have their tribalism own tribalism or <laughs> exactly. nationalism within the within the film industry? Yeah. Wow, so like the rank and file would like be really into the British, uh, right movies, but it's kind of yes. the higher ups, and then a lot of the uh, columnists would kind of be on board with that. So let's put that anti British sentiment on the shelf for just a bit and talk. A little bit about the Paramount cases. Have you ever heard of Paramount cases? No. Or also known as the Hollywood antitrust cases? No. It Never. It is a landmark Supreme Court ruling came out in, I think, late 1948. Okay. Which basically broke up the since pretty much the inception, the Hollywood studios also owned all the theater chains. Okay. So the Supreme Court ruled that that was what's called vertical integration, which means that you, you have the large companies that own all oh. portions of an industry from production to distribution. Right. So they cut off that them from the distribution so that theater chains were all independent. What we know now is like, you know, AMC or Edwards right. or that were... MGM Paramount back then had their own. So can I ask you, did that affect, could you hear some of the early Hollywood stars like would sign with, what would you call it, with Paramount or with whatever? They'd be under contract. Yeah, they'd be under contract for that, do a certain, and then like a ridiculous number of films, you know, right in a row. Uh, Did that, we don't do that anymore, did it? Did it stop 
at that case or prior to that? This is considered to be the beginning of the end of the Hollywood studio system. Okay. It was an immediate really completely break up until the 60s, really. But it gave more power to the individual artists or, the, or gave them less benefit to being under contract to the studios. At this so, point, did they have a um, union? Yes. They already had it. There was already yeah, an actor's skill. Uh, yeah, Ronald Reagan was president for a long time. I mean, not in the 40s, though, right? Or was of he? Of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, he, he was? He was the union president, yeah. I knew he wasn't president of the U.S. in the 40s. <laughs> right. Oh, in the 40s he was. So uh, early. Uh, I believe so in the was, 40s, okay. yeah. It's, it's probably its own podcast to explain how it ended Hollywood, but one of the things that when gave the studios a lot of flexibility, you have Gary Cooper under contract, and his latest movie isn't selling well in New York. Well, you can see, okay, well, our theaters in Kansas City are selling well, so why don't we move it, like put it out in the Midwest a lot, and once it gathers word of mouth, kind of move it back. And so you'd be able okay. to keep your stars happy by really building your really caring for your movies like uh -huh. a, like kind of a gardener would. Okay, rather than just putting them out yeah. there and... Right, if it's a separate company that's doing the distribution, they only right. want it. to book movies that are making money. Right. So that would, you know, kind of set balls in motion that took a decade and a half or so okay. to come to fruition. Also, you know, lot else was going on with uh, television competition in the 50s also right. the blacklist so right because this combined. is the whole beginning of the communist scare era. right no exactly 1948 but i mean i think the big effect of the blacklist was that you have the studios being less beneficial to the actors and also the sense that they're willing to throw their artists under the bus, the creative personnel. Okay. That so it really right. kind of fractured that relationship. Got it. So that you get more the industry kind of moves more into studios just being basically financing funding and, and producing. But in the short term, the big impact on this year was that it was a a big impact to the bottom line because instead of all of a movie ticket purchase going to the studios, about half of it would go to the theater owner now. And okay. so really cut costs. And so up until this point, the Academy would, they do collect dues from their members, but most of their funding would come directly from the studios who were just kind of supporting this as a, an arm of the industry. Okay they decided to cut off their funding. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to scale back or, you know, starting next year, we're just, they okay. cut it off. So um, the studios cut off the funding, the funding for the Academy. Yes. What is the Academy? So much. The Academy was started in the late 20s as just a way of um, fostering motion picture arts and sciences Basic. I mean, they put on the Academy Awards. I mean, that's basically that's base. Right? That's their that's their main job, right? They're yeah. opening up a museum, 
Okay. You know, I would I'll go to at some point. But, yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's we're we're a lot of years later. We're right. almost a hundred years later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So. so they, now, I mean, it was to the point where they had booked the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion for the the nineteen forty eight Oscars or to be mm-hmm. held in forty nine, part right. of the year of forty eight. And had to give it up because they couldn't. But Dorothy Chandler Pavilion is one of the largest theaters in Los okay. Angeles. It's uh-huh. actually still there. But they didn't have the funding for it. Yeah. They had to move it to the uh, I think Academy Auditorium, which housed less people. They had, you know, paying dues members who now couldn't attend, which caused a lot of aggravation. Uh-huh. Um, so that's all going on. And in the midst of all of this, we have five movies up for Best Picture. So, coming from the United States of America, we have Johnny Belinda, The Snake Pit, and Treasures of Sierra Madre. Okay. You, I've heard of Treasures of Sierra Madre. Is that a Humphrey Bogart? Yeah. Okay. Have you seen it? I might have seen that. That's terrific. Is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, we'll start with that one. I was going to okay. start with The Snake Pit. but was, um, You hadn't heard of the other two, right? No. Snake Pit. What was the other one? Johnny Belinda. Johnny Belinda, no. Okay. Yeah, The Treasure of Sierra Madre is, stars Humphrey Bogart as um, a man with a, with a group of other American men go down to Mexico because they get a tip of gold in a, a particular location within the the Mexican Sierra Madre mountain uh-huh. range. So they go brave the elements and the, they have an encounter with bandits who refuse to show their badges. You know, the famous line. We ain't got no stupid badges. Yeah, stinking badges, yeah. <laughs> we ain't got no stinking badges. We don't have badges. to show you any stinking badges. <laughs> it's great. But it's, 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 uh, Based loosely on the Partners Tale from the Canterbury Tales. Oh, okay. And it's a great kind of a parable about greed. Because you have this kind of a survival element where these men kind of depend on each other to survive, but they're also the the gold really kind of corrodes their trust in each other. Do they depict in that movie um like a, a Mexican town, like the yes? And there, does the town come under attack at some point? Uh to an extent, you might be thinking of the Three Amigos, <laughs> <laughs> which is different. <laughs> Uh, when are we going to be going that. over the Three Amigos? Is that no, uh... <laughs> no, I didn't want to Yeah, uh, I don't. There is a town, and like there's action that happens in that town. I wouldn't okay. call it being under attack. under attack. Yeah. So this is Treasure of Sierra Madre, great movie directed by John Huston, Angelica's father. Right. Um, he's a great director. He's, he's famous because I've heard of him. Yeah. Oh, he's terrific. I probably know him from what? Um, Maltese Falcon. Yes, I've heard of that, and that is I'm sure starred. You've seen that. Uh, Famous actor. I also did Key Largo, also with oh. um, Humphrey Bogart this same year. Oh, this year, 1948. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. Key Largo. 
<laughs> we also have the snake pit is up for best picture. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it is a little terrifying. It's not about snakes, though. It's a, a movie that's kind of an expose on the conditions in sanitariums at the time. Oh. Olivia de Havilland uh, plays a uh-huh. woman who has... From Gone with the Wind. Exactly. Nice. Yes, which nice. we'll get to. Very good. Yeah, she has the starring role as a woman who has a nervous breakdown and gets committed to okay. a sanitarium and experiences the really startling conditions, which wow. I think was uh, um, new to audiences at the time. It was okay. a very well much talked about movie. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Probably began at the end of the sanitarium system. Yeah, may have contributed to that. Yeah, we will, we will eventually get into one floor of the cuckoo's nest, which yeah, is probably more more known for that directly. Yeah, uh, related to that, but that is a discussion for uh-huh. uh, probably come. much later. The so that's the snake pet. Uh, Olivia de Havilland is is really a great vehicle for her. Her um, strongest competition for the Oscar would be. Jane Wyman in Johnny Belinda, oh. which I just caught up with this past week, and that is a movie in which. What do you mean you just caught up with? I you... just saw it for the first time. Oh really? For this, yeah. That was oh, the only Johnny Belinda. I hadn't seen. Jane Wyman. I don't know if you know this, yeah, but she is the first wife of Ronald Reagan. Really? Yes. Yeah, I think I did. She that. was also in Falcon Fal- Crest. Falcon Crest. Yes. The TV show. Okay. Yes. And we're also going to see her in The Lost Weekend. A best okay. picture winner, which I think will come up pretty soon. Okay. But we'll see. She plays a deaf mute. It's in this small Nova Scotia town, kind of a fishing and farming village. Uh-huh. And this new doctor comes into town. It's played by Lou Ayers, actor really from the 30s. Uh, we'll actually see him in All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay. From 1930. Yeah, but he plays this kind of a country doctor who comes to town and he takes a liking to her. She's she's kind of been treated as an outcast. And it's fascinating to see how these things were thought about in the 40s because one that he's like. He's talking to the family and, and to her and saying, yeah, there's this uh, new thing coming from France where you can talk with your hands. And so it's like there wasn't... Oh, you uh, mean like sign, sign language. language? Yeah, like it was something that audiences wouldn't have been familiar with. That's mind-blowing. And it's really mind-blowing because it's like there have been deaf people from since the beginning of time. And nobody came and up with sign language? I, I should really look it up as to yeah. how new it was, actually. Uh-huh. It may have just been that audiences wouldn't have known about it. Yeah, it could be that people put deaf children but, into, yeah. they were like invisible to normal society. Exactly. Well, and it, just to think about it, like before you have sign language, it's these are just people you can't communicate with, really. Is there and a ha- Helen Keller movie? Uh, yeah. There is, right? Yeah, yeah, The Miracle Worker. Miracle Worker. Is it? Right. We're not going to cover that one? No. No. No, that came out in 62. 
not even nominated? Uh, it might, uh, 62. <laughs> I'm taking you off task. Yeah, well, Mark's for Dennis looks one. so annoyed right now. Wow. <laughs> He's like, why are you making me do this? That but might have yet, been one of them. But yet you can't help you. yourself. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, to Kill Mockingbird, the music man. No, it didn't. No, it wasn't. What well, went one in 62? Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. When are we going to see that? Soon? Not soon. No. Not uh, soon. Towards the end. Okay, so we will revisit this we'll at revisit a very late date. Very late time. But I really, think Lawrence of Arabia? Is there's one? To Kill a Mockingbird and then uh, the, the Meet Me on the Bounty, The Longest Day, right? Oh. And um, The Music Man. Okay. That's five. Yeah. All right. So no miracle worker. Okay, no miracle worker. Why, but... why are you turning that? <laughs> Uh, Johnny Belinda is actually really good. I thought it would just be, oh, this is a, a weepy about how hard it is to be deaf. But it actually, it's a really a riveting plot that gets into small town gossip. Oh. And it's really very uh, this corrosive nature of this, this busybody. Oh, that does stuff. sound. Yeah. What um, would you watch it on? How'd you watch um, it? I actually got it from the library. Okay. Yeah. Great. So then, those, so those are the three American movies we have from Great Britain, The Red Shoes, and Hamlet. Oh, so Hamlet is one of these British, British movies, movies mm -hmm. that annoyed the... Yes. Yeah, made by Laurence Olivier. He directed it and starred in it. Okay. So he wasn't part of the studio system. He had been because he's a. I don't think he, he must not be under contract at this point. Right. But he had. He, yeah, I, I think he was either on loan for. He's been in a lot of Hollywood movies. Wuthering yeah. Heights. So Rebecca is the best picture winner that okay. we will see eventually. Okay, but not soon. No, I no. I, Hope not. No, it shouldn't be okay. soon. Have I seen Rebecca? No, I'm thinking of Marnie. <laughs> Marnie? Well, they're both Hitchcock movies. Are they? Okay, yes. there you go. Very Marnie. different. But, yeah. I didn't know that was, it's just a woman's name. I don't, okay. Yeah, no. So it's not. I don't know. You might have seen Rebecca. It's, Maybe I did. It's great. Okay. Uh, but that's neither here nor there either. Right. So we're actually going to talk track. about the red shoes for a little bit. Yes. Which is, you've heard of the red shoes? Uh, yes, that's from The Wizard of Oz. Click, click. <laughs> no. No, these are ballet shoes. Oh, no, I have no idea. So Red Shoes is a British movie. It's actually the biggest hit in the United States this year. Oh. It's really wild. It's about, it's made by Powell and Pressburger, this British um, filmmaking pair. We talked about briefly... A couple episodes ago, they made the 49th Parallel, which was okay. one of the losers to Mrs. Miniver. Mm -hmm. uh, this is much later in their career. It's a sumptuous, technicolor story of a, a ballerina and a composer and a, a ballet producer who are striving to put on a ballet of the Red Shoes, which is a based on a... Hans Christian Andersen tale about 
an ambitious ballerina who gets like some enchanted shoes that make her dance wonderfully, but then they won't let her rest at the end of the day. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm familiar. I remember reading that to my kids. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is a sumptuous movie that's really, it's, it's kind of like a fairy tale for adults, that it's very much about artistic ambition and the drive to create something beautiful. There's at least three or four major ballet numbers in the movie. Mm. It's very much about the ballet, which is what's so surprising, like, that, uh, you know, it's one thing that it's, it gets so much acclaim and is up for Best Picture, but it's like the biggest hit of the year. Very Not sophisticated so audiences in 1948. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very surprising. And then the final nominee is... Hamlet, which right. is our winner, and we'll right. get into it. Uh, but hopefully, that background on these nominees helps shed some light on this very first time that a British movie wins Best Picture. Wow! Or any non-American movie wins Best Picture. Uh, before we take a break, can I just because mm-hmm. uh, this is you're kind of summing up this part, right? Yes. Um, I have a question about Technicolor. Yes. So that's interesting because I can see that you would want color for, because Hamlet is not in color. No. It's black and white. So you, you, tell me about Technicolor. Like, I know, did they first use it for Gone with the Wind? Or you would need it for the red shoes because if you don't have red, then like it could be any color. If you don't have, if you don't have Technicolor. Well, when were they... Yeah, it's it's interesting because we kind of think about it like the next development after sound. Right. And with sound, like, it went from all silent to all sound. And even in television, right. went from all black and white to all color, just in, in yeah. a drop of it. Uh, but color cinematography actually predates sound. There is some color footage still available from the silent era. The second, the second best picture winner, actually, the Broadway Melanie, has one dance sequence in color, or had oh. one. It's that section has been lost, and we only have the black and white portion. So it's been around. It's kind of it was prohibitively expensive in the early days, and sometimes wasn't that good. But uh, you would see it come up for special movies, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 37. Okay. Of course, it's a right. technical cool. movie. Okay. And then, of course, in 39, you have not just Gone with the Wind, but The Wizard of Oz. Right, okay. That has that amazing mm-hmm. shot where she opens the door from black and white into color. Oh, is, I don't think I had noticed that before. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. It's, it's such a great movie. So scary. I, you're scared of the monkeys. <laughs> so I, I really wish we had that movie coming up because <laughs> we would get into it. Okay, maybe yes. I, I haven't seen you it in would, a long time. You but... would watch it again with an open mind and <laughs> be blown away. It's great. Okay, yeah, that's... Color would... And then with wartime rationing and stuff, almost everything is black and white. Okay. But you would have... 
in movies, uh, color, a lot of color movies and a lot of black and white movies side by side really throughout the 50s. Okay. And then by, when were we everything color? Uh, towards the 60s. And that was really when television really made that change because when color TVs came out, they were really selling. That was a big selling point. So they didn't want to pay for the TV rights for black and white movies because people who bought color TVs would be like, why is this in black and white? Right. So to have more staying power, okay. everything would be in color. But as late as 1960, like the apartment was in black and white and Psycho from that year. We'll get into oh, the apartment mm-hmm. in our podcast. And then the, that's not the last black and white movies, but be like something like Schindler's List does it for very particular reasons. Okay. Oh, very um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, do you want to give us a little rundown of what Hamlet... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what is Hamlet about? So, Hamlet is a Shakespeare play. Yes. And it's based on a... Basically, a royal family in Denmark. Yes. And it goes through this drama of... The movie starts right after the death of the king. Right. And Hamlet is the son of the king. Mm-hmm. And so we follow, the movie follows Hamlet finding out what, going through his own issues of his mother, the queen, has within a month of her husband's death married the new king, which is his uncle. Yes. So I'm not sure why it went to the uncle, but for whatever reason, you know, I have no, I'm not, who am I to judge how Denmark does things? But anyway, so he's dealing with his own um, issues of grief over his father's death, his own issues of his mother marrying his uncle, and then through this extraordinary sort of vision that I'm really anxious to get into of his, he gets this vision of the father, the dead king, who tells him that it was, spoiler alert, the uncle who killed the father. And so then it plays out, the rest of it plays out. It's almost like this, I don't even want to say cat and mouse game, but the rest of it is about um, just the developing, how he deals with trying to resolve this and it's very interesting it's mm-hmm. he almost kills him at one point and then it's it, you know so it's yeah it's it, it's interesting that's what it's about and then it culminate there there's a love interest for hamlet and then you're it culminates at the end with very differently from the lion king <laughs> yes <laughs> very different so to get into the succession and before Primogenitor was kind of a acclamation, a succession by acclamation, in which the nobleman would select a leader when the king dies. And as that went along, it became kind of customary that if the king's, the dying king's oldest son, wants the throne that they would give it to him that the nobles would select it and then that kind of hardened into a fast rule of of primogenitor so 
what how that affects this plot is that Claudius would have deliberately waited for Hamlet to be away at school, at university, to plot this murder because then he wouldn't be there to make a claim. Got it. So So he was also would understand that he's been he's been hoodwinked. Got it. Okay, so yeah, part of the challenge of this movie is like I had to watch the first scene like <laughs> right. three times before I was like, all right, what is happening? Did you put on subtitles? Uh I did not. That probably would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the subtitles wouldn't give it to you in plain English. They would just... Well, it tells you. It's, it, it helps. It, it does help. Because, yeah. you know, what I did have to do is finally look up the play and read mm-hmm. it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And But even, even so, it was just like... And then once I got the grasp of like, okay, here's where we're going... I also realized I couldn't do anything else while watching this movie. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> you can't... I couldn't be doing dishes... I mean, not to make me sound like a, yeah, like I do a lot of dishes, like, but I don't know, whatever else you might do. My well, that one you've seen a few times. Yeah, I did clean up the, you know, kitchen in the evening watching My Fair Lady. I'm not going to lie. Okay. But I don't I don't want to portray myself as some sort of heavy-duty cleaner. Okay. I should do more. <laughs> Go ahead. But anyway, so, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely hard to, like, yeah, these are very sophisticated audiences. In 1948. So what I'm asking then, I guess, as part of this is, did I miss this? Uh, Did it tell you at the beginning that that Hamlet was gone when his father died? I guess that makes sense, but it did tell Uh, you. Well, he he mentions that he he came back for the funeral. So it's really interesting, this generational shift, because this is, you know, Shakespeare's in the Renaissance, and there's this kind of change toward um, an emphasis on individuality from a more hierarchical you know the this conflict between the old way of mm-hmm. uh, duty and legacy and the new way of um, having personal agency and so I think it's not insignificant that you have these two young men well, I think one of the things we'll get into is that Hamlet's being played by a 42-year-old, but... Was he 42? Yes. He looked so young. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I was like... just because I knew him. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to... Have I seen Laurence Olivier in anything before? If you've seen Rebecca, then you did. Yeah. Uh, Wuthering Heights, the... Yes, you have seen him in the remake of The Jazz Singer, where he's Neil Diamond's father. Oh, okay. That's probably what I know him best for, but I haven't seen that since. since I just think of him as this old Hollywood actor, sort of like a Barrymore or something. Oh, right. Um, And and I knew that, because it was part of the title, that he had made the movie, he directed Mm -hmm. it or whatever. And so I was like, oh, and then he shows up on screen. And I'm like, wait, he's like a young guy. Yeah. So I was so confused, but I didn't realize he was 42. Right. I, I would have believed 20 in this. Yeah. He looks very yeah. young. So, so yeah, I think a lot of it is about this kind of generational pull because it's, you have these two young guys who keep 
being pulled back and then going going away again and then get pulled back with both Hamlet and Laertes. Okay. You know who Laertes is? Laertes is the brother of the girl. Right. Yeah, which her name is is Ophelia. Right. Yeah, right. Ophelia. So Laertes is the brother yeah. of Ophelia, and he does disappear and come back and disappear and come back. Right. I didn't really know what he was doing, but he seemed like an so, honorable character. He is not. Yeah, there's kind of a nice juxtaposition between Hamlet and Laertes because they both are from family units that are a little bit broken. I mean, Laertes' mother is not in the picture. I don't think we get the uh-huh. explanation where he is. Um, but, you know, he right. has a father. Hamlet just has a mother. Right. And they're both kind of uh, broken three-person families. With right. Hamlet and his stepdad and mother. And, and Laertes has his sister and his dad. Right. But I think you do kind of see the importance of the father figure with Polonius's advice to Laertes as he's going back to college. What does he say? Remember that? Oh, this is a very significant. Is that, yeah. Well, first you get in that first scene in the court, Laertes petitions to the king for permission. He says, I, I came here for the funeral oh, and right. the wedding, and I asked for leave to go back to France, which is where he right. was going to school. And uh, the king asked Polonius, who's Laertes' father, if that's okay. And so he lets him leave. And then in the next scene... And it's Polonius, so that's Laertes and Ophelia's father. Right. Is he a court jester? Is he? No, a, no, no. He's he, an advisor. He's an advisor. Yes. But he is kind of silly, right? He's silly and, and wise, too. And his, okay. That's where he's giving some really profound fatherly advice to Laertes in... As, as they're out in on that part of the castle, the you know neither a borrower nor a lender be right. And but the I think the key to it is that he ends the speech with the to to thine own self be true, yes. and it will follow as night follows day that you can't be false to any man. And so I think that just interesting kind of difference between Laertes and Hamlet is one of integrity okay where it's i think the movie kind of explains it at the beginning of hamlet's problem is you can't make up his mind which is Mm -hmm. an interpretation i guess but i you know i see it more as he just he 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 doesn't know himself he doesn't have that kind of um he's not he doesn't have that kind of integrity Mm -hmm. to realize who he is and mm-hmm. and to yeah stake out a position yeah because he seems and again watching Hamlet it to me is like speaking Spanish you know like I'm I'm doing it as like I I understand it I'm getting mm-hmm. most of what everything is being said but I need to listen very carefully, and right. I'm there. I'm losing some subtleties. Yeah, yeah. This, it takes some work. I mean, I, what I find is that if I read one of the plays very patiently and just take yeah. the time to really understand what everything is, it almost becomes natural. Right. Yeah. So and it's it becomes not easy to understand. Yeah. 
it's not natural, but it was, I was amazed how into it I got. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm interested in this because not long ago, you asked me if any horror movie had won Best Picture. Oh, right. And I actually think this is as close as you get. A lot really? of people cite Silence of the Lambs, which I see as more right. of a, a crime thriller. But, I mean, this is a ghost story. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying it is a... It's it's, it's not a horror movie. And right. I wouldn't say people who love horror movies would, oh, you're going to love Hamlet. Because <laughs> uh, they might not. But it's very much... I mean, Hamlet itself is a ghost story, but I think this adaptation really leans into the ghost story elements. I mean, that scene with the ghost mm-hmm. is, it, it's its not just a, a ghost that shows up to put the plot in motion. I mean, this is really an, an encounter with the otherworldly, the supernatural. Right. No, I mean, I, I was fascinated by that point, yes. by that part, because... You know, Shakespeare, this is now late 1500s, right? Yeah. English yeah, in the late... The play, exactly. The play is dated like 1599 to 1602, okay. somewhere around. So, so by that point, and sort of he's, that century. he's in England, mm-hmm. so he is Anglican, you know, right. so this is now a not Catholic, but he's describing uh, a soul in purgatory. Right. Is clearly what yeah yeah it's so i was really i was surprised at like oh this is kind of interesting catholic because he's be here's because here's what it was when he they encounter this ghost or or whatever you would call it this figure which is clearly the king who has died yeah and is in agony right and Part of clearly in agony, clearly in agony, right? And he is talking about how he's got to endure. He's it has to endure things because right. of this. And then Hamlet recognizes this, and it's part of his just almost barely contained anger yes. for his uncle that he describes as because he didn't give his father the chance to confess before he died. And so he, it's not just that he killed his father, but he killed his father before he was ready. And so now his father is in this purgatorial state. I was like, wow. Right. And when does he consider killing? Right. So that was so interesting then playing on that when he encounters his Claudius, Claudius, the uncle, who, and he has this perfect opportunity to kill him. Right. But at that point, Claudius is praying, and praying, and he's repenting, actually. Of, I don't know if Hamlet can tell, but he's right. kind of repenting, what have I done? He's very yes. sorrowful before this statue of Jesus or whatever. This You know, he's clearly in this very... Mm-hmm. He's kneeling. He's kneeling, right? Yeah, he's clearly praying, and Hamlet is about to kill him, and then purposely doesn't kill him because he doesn't want to kill his uncle when he might be in a state of, as we would say, state of grace, grace, right? As a 
right. you know, with a background in Catholic theology, you know, that, and so he purposely doesn't kill him when he might kill him. He wants to wait until his uncle is no longer in a state of grace, right. which is very devious and, it, you know, well, and that leads him incredible. to the to be or not to be speech where he really Which I did not know that was about suicide. Oh, yeah. I had no yeah. idea before. Right. I mean, I know. I think it's, what it's, we had to do is, I think we had to memorize that speech. Right. So I think maybe we did have to read it, but I feel like we had to memorize that speech. So I knew, I mean, I remember some of the words, but like it wasn't until watching Hamlet, I'm like, oh, he's, this is about to be or not to be. You know, this yeah. is a powerful. Right. Yeah. To exist or, 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 not, or not to exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What is it better to, is it better to end this suffering? Right. That I have. It's really profound. To, it's, well, it's, it was it's been really for, yeah. for yeah. years. But yeah, I mean, getting back to kind of the horror elements. Oh, I mean, yeah, I sorry. That, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> we're discussing it. The, uh, when he sees the ghost and you have that, remember that kind of pulsating, like in, in, in sync with Hamlet's heartbeat. Yeah. The in and out of focus. Oh yeah, 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 and and then like this really strange cut from like the close up of the face of the ghost, and uh-huh. then just a, like a sudden jump cut to like his shadowy figure, right? And just that voice, which is just not like a natural human voice, right? Just, just like this kind of voice of suffering. Yeah, yeah, um, it was really, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of what you get with movies based on plays is you know they say you should try to open it up because plays because of uh, not wanting to have a lot of scene changes usually take place in one or two locations and so for movie versions you usually try to avoid that but I think that this was all set in the castle became an asset of it because Elsinore is is so much more atmospheric than I remember it. The cinematography and the fact that it just it seems like the castle is just kind of floating in a sea of nothingness. Yeah. Almost so, like something out of Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. And you know, part of when the Hamlet's companions try to prevent him from going to see the ghost. You can almost like the, it's kind of down this pathway, or it's like yeah. one one stumble. It's like and you're be you're in into space. right. You're like right. exactly when it cuts back, we see that it's in the middle of an ocean. But right, even that is kind of like a right, you know, tohu bohu type of you know <laughs> nice uh, reference field of uh, Genesis. Yeah, so so. Yeah, so I think that's kind of the horror movie adjacent thing where it's yeah. just like this is not right, and the this something rotten in the state of Denmark. Denmark. It's not just rotten in the sense of this is bad, but rotten like it's rotting. It's it's um, decaying to its core. Yeah, and this is like kind of the this kind of um, it's kind of like blood debt type of 
thing that the young men keep trying to escape but keep getting pulled, right, pulled back, back into. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, so, so many interesting, I thought that was very, yeah, that was an interesting aspect of it. And then, of course, you, all these things, because it's Shakespeare, become tragedies just when you, you know, try to figure out, is he going to do the right thing or what is the right thing? I don't even know what direction this is going to go, but yeah, pretty sure the young woman, yeah, it was interesting, the death of Ophelia of, of both of the women in his lives yes yeah yeah so that was that was um, Ophelia yeah, that, that yeah. was such a tremendous scene where she just drowns in that river yeah because it's it's you know it's explained to us in dialogue in the play but just to see like it's kind of this shallow, yeah, like slowly moving, and you like just you just see her. Yeah. Basically, she's having a mental breakdown after the death of her father, mm-hmm. which she may or may. Did she know that Hamlet caused it? Yes. Yeah. So, and Hamlet, he th- did he think it was going to be the king? Yeah, he thought it was the king. Yeah. So. Which is, and he he's kind of going mad too because he yeah. doesn't he hasn't really seen that repentant of killing Polonius right yeah uh, he's kind but of he's also playing it. mad he's playing mad while he's while he's also he he's just so you know it's interesting how you talk about his psyche being not knowing you know as opposed to Lear. Laertes, who knows himself, right? right? Hamlet is like portrayed as kind of a decent guy who has no mooring. And he just, it's like he doesn't know what to do with all of these deep Mm -hmm. emotions that he's having. And he wants to do the right thing. And and even when he killed Polonius. Polonius, he, you know, Polonius was plotting against him. So it's it's not like Hamlet had no was just being willy nilly about this, but yeah, it's just this. You can see him going deeper and deeper into this, and then the having because he killed Polonius, then his love Ophelia, who he's got a like he's he's playing. What was going on? He's it was not like, more than that either. Like I think he's. Yeah. I think he's so consumed. He, well, I mean, he he's misogynistic, but I mean, he's so consumed with what his mother has done or his his yeah. uh, seeming betrayal that um, he 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 just feels betrayed by her marrying so fast and mm-hmm. and just seeming to be you know always defending Claudius yeah yeah and it's like he's so consumed by this uh, so I think he projects a lot of that onto Ophelia or onto right. women in yeah. general and okay and he's pretty cruel to her he is cruel to her and he's also but he was also like I thought he was being cruel to her 
also because he's playing this part, which he knows that other people are listening to. Yes. And he's like, he's concocting this plan and he seems like, okay, I'm going to be outwardly cruel to her and I feel a little bit bad about it. Mm -hmm. But he's, it's also, he's so self-consumed that he can't, even if he knows he should be thinking about considering other people's feelings, it's like he can't. Well, and Polonius tracks it because he says that in a line that will become very famous that there's method to his madness. Oh, though yeah. he be mad, there is method. Right. In it. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Because he's so it's it's yeah it's it's a complicated yeah. figure. Yeah, That's it's why complicated. We've been studying him for yeah for hundred years forever. Um, but he did not. He was very distraught at her death. Yes. When he finds out about her death. Because he did not intend that at all. No. Yeah, and that's... it's. Yeah, I think that's another through line is that the chaos you lose will yes. have impacts that you don't yeah, right. intend. Which brings up... You, you, you brought up the Gertrude's death a little bit too. But what right. struck you about that? Well, that was this really amazing scene of a, a duel, a sword fight. Yes. Between, and this is part of, well, there were so many things that Hamlet had set up. We'd already had the play yes. where he he sort of tells them how to do those, this play, mm-hmm. and they reenact how yes. the king actually died. Yes. So then that leads to, you know, there's all this conflict with the, uh, what's his name, the new king? Claudius. Claudius. And so Claudius sets up a duel between... Laertes. It was Laertes? Yeah, Laertes and, and Hamlet. And Hamlet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And Laertes already, he wanted to duel because he killed his father. Yeah. Right. And he bled some for his sister's death, too. And he blames, oh, that's right, that had already yeah, happened. Right. Okay, so this is really the, yeah. So anyway, so then there's this big sword scene, and it was and it was um, stacked against Hamlet, although Hamlet didn't initially know it. Mm-hmm. By a couple of things, the king had first laced the sword with some sort of poison. Yes. And, and then there was also something with the cup, like there was poison yes. in the cup. So it was really interesting because the queen clocked this. Right. She, at first, Hamlet got barely scratched on his shoulder, but enough to break the skin. Right. But uh, So he was poisoned, but yes. it was so slight that it was a real slow, you don't mm-hmm. see the effects of it till the end. But, but anyway, there was something with the cup where he was going to, they offered it to him. Yes. Because they really wanted to ensure his death. Right. And uh, and I guess the plan would be if you drink this, then in five minutes in the middle of the duel, you're just going to die anyway. Right. So then it's not really any threat to Laertes because mm-hmm. Hamlet was quite good with his sword. Right. As were both of them. Right. Our nephew is a fencer, and yes. he would really enjoy this scene, I okay. imagine. I'd I like imagine. to hear his take on this. But right. go shoe, right? Sacred yes, Heart University. He's a fencer at Sacred Heart University. Yeah. So we say go yeah, shoot. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, they have this fencing scene, but the mother clocks that that scene with the cup, and it's really interesting how they go to her face, 
and then the continuing but she's just like i see what's going on they're gonna they're gonna poison him this is the death of my son she's conflicted right so then then she takes and she drinks out of it right yeah and the king is like doesn't want her to do it but he can't say don't drink that and so he's like kind of an internal agony as he sees her drink it and then anyway she does die anyway what am i missing from that scene no you're not missing it's it's interesting because that's always a choice that is made when hamlet's put on because the text it's not clear from the text it's not clear that gertrude knows that the cup is okay I always, in general, I kind of prefer it to be accidental because that's part of that through line of, you know, yeah, you lose I'm, chaos and you don't, that's right. part of oh, okay, Claudius' right. perspective that so it, you have it both, hits the wrong victim. Yes. Um, and because she had been so defensive of Claudius up to that point that it's kind of hard to believe in that one sword fight she just kind of puts together that okay he's actually trying to kill my son when she oh, couldn't see any of his faults before right but i think it's pulled off well here you know as you described it you can really see where she puts this yeah. stuff together yeah because you yeah. see her first clock it right. figure it out and then internalize this and trying to decide what to do about it mm-hmm. and all with glances yeah exactly you know, and one of the things in general with whether she knows or doesn't know is like, well, she thinks it's poison, why not just knock it over or something and be easy. Right. But I think it's what I got out of this one is she needs to drink it so that Hamlet knows that he's Yeah. That they're trying to kill him. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it That's is a very what, sacrificial yeah. right. death. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, and a, a very purposeful he sees it and yeah because then he gets the sword thing he figures out that the that the sword is also poisoned yes. from that so yeah. yeah then everybody dies Laertes repents here too. Let, when does Laertes repent uh when Gertrude dies and that's when she, oh. he says it was the king the whole time oh yeah yeah, yeah. right that's right. And then the whole crowd goes, yeah. Because then the, then there was the, was it when the queen died that the crowd started like that whisper campaign around? Yeah. 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 yeah so the crowd very, watching. Uh, powerful. And then the king dies by his own plan, right? Yeah. Like, Hamlet stabs him with the poison sword. Yeah. Stabs yeah. him with the poison sword. But then Hamlet dies because he'd been scratched with the sword to yeah. begin with and... Anyway, yeah, they all die, they all unlike die. in The Lion King. And uh, you recognize the grave digger? Yeah, the grave digger was, I sent you a screenshot <laughs> when I was like, hey, this is uh, Alfred P. Doolittle. I actually <laughs> didn't recognize him. It was his voice. Yeah, I that's mean, what it was for me, too. It I was his voice. It's like it. he was doing the same inflection. It was just like all of a sudden you had this My Fair Lady character show up and uh anyway yeah yes yeah so he's the he's digging ophelia's grave Mm -hmm. at that point and that was before now here's another question having to do with my fair lady 
you were bashing it. I'm, I mean, let's be real. I wasn't bashing it. <laughs> you were bashing it about it being confined to a stage, essentially. Right. Why do you have to it's do that? Stage bound. Right, stage bound. But Hamlet was stage bound. Yeah. Are you also bashing this one no. for that? No. Okay. Um, I think I, okay. Well, I think that I addressed that. I mean, I think that there's artistic merit in why it was done. And because you oh, you pre-gamed that. it. It's because you knew this was going to come up in Hamlet. No. <laughs> no, I, I just, I think that the setting works to its benefit here. I just, I think that, you know, My Fair Lady, it just kind of, it, it just makes, like, it's an artistic decision to keep it pretty much the same as the stage play in that case, which is, is not a, a decision I agreed with, but. You know, you had some good defenses to it. I just feel like it's in in taking a, a strong um, source material, it just kind of did the bare minimum with it. And okay. It didn't make it much better. But this is just a very unique version of Hamlet. I don't think it's perfect i you know i'm a little distracted by olivia olivier's age but you seem to like think yeah. he was pretty young so yeah maybe that i'm just bringing him back and yeah. knowing him and other stuff uh, also I don't, I don't i'm not sure i like the decision on the soliloquies to have them in voiceover Oh, it's just right. kind of, it's yeah, a little yeah, yeah. awkward with them kind of pantomiming what was being said in voiceover. Yeah, right, right. That yeah. It, it seems... It, How do they do that in the play? Quiet. Well, in the play, you just speak to the audience. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it breaks the fourth wall, but that's kind of the intention oh. of it, to show their inner thoughts. Okay, so this one, they um, just have the, it yeah, in other thoughts. Yeah. Got it. So then other adaptations of Hamlet, I mean, they do it in different ways. You can, I mean, the, what the movie did more successfully is the one that describes Ophelia's death because you're seeing that right. scene and not just yeah, the yeah. person talking but with their mouth closed. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I think it's very atmospheric. I think the... Um, yeah, it's one of the better versions of Hamlet. I think. I'm still surprised that this was the best picture winner. Yeah, were so people good, just better at understanding Hamlet? I mean, uh, Shakespeare at that point. Well, I think a lot of it was goes back to the context. I mean, going into it, the uh, Johnny Belinda was uh-huh. a favorite. Johnny right. Belinda got twelve nominations. I think Sha- uh, Hamlet and that's the, Red the Nova Shoes. Scotia one. Yeah. Yeah. Hamlet and the Red Shoes were behind, were next with seven each. Okay. So quite a bit behind it. The, it, it was not expected to, Lawrence Olivier was a, was a front runner for best actor, but it wasn't expected to win best picture. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't want to say that it won because voters were mad at the studios for cutting the funding. Okay. Because, I mean, it, it won because it got the most votes, and who knows why people voted right. for it. People might have uh-huh. just thought it was better. Uh, but there, I'm sure there were some that were like, well, I, I don't want to give this to, to Warner Brothers. 
because of what they did. So, uh-huh. you know, it's it's this is the first time that it's a British movie, mm-hmm. or um, yeah. Okay, so some some things going on beyond things behind, going on, but you're not an no, election denier. No, I'm not an election <laughs> denier. I am not. It did get the most votes, and it I did don't, get I the most votes. Uh, I yeah, I, I don't regret. Well, it could be like remember that um, scene in the office where they have the Halloween contest and. Oscar, who was, I don't know, what was he, the informed consumer or something. He had the, the, the least costume out of oh. everybody. They all wanted to vote for who they thought would lose, so oh. to give themselves a better chance of winning. Oh, right, And yes. then he wins the um, the book, the, um, yeah. one of those, it's like. Just, <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> so. Um, That's going to get now, cut out. having watched and discussed Hamlet. Hamlet got two acting nominations. Can you guess who they are? Um, Laurence Olivier for Best Actor mm-hmm. and The Emperor for Court Jester. Is he not the Emperor? Who is he? The Emperor. From Star Wars. Oh, Peter Cushing? Yeah. What is he not the Emperor? Who is he? <laughs> He's the Grand Moff Tarkin. He's not the Emperor. Okay. The emperor oh, that's the, right. The Emperor is the... Yeah, hooded figure. Yeah, the hooded Palpatine. figure. Right. Yes, no, uh, the Cushing plays Osric, the uh, flamboyant, maybe, messenger. Easily maybe, flamboyant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really an interesting decision there. Um, <laughs> but no, Gene uh, Simmons was a supporting actress nominee for playing Ophelia. Oh, really? Yes, and you Jean know her Simmons. from Guys and Dolls. Oh. She was the lead in Guys and Dolls. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Salvation oh, really I, looks very different. Looks yeah. very different. Like I didn't know it was the same person. Yeah. Oh, interesting. When was Guys and Dolls? 55. Okay, so, yeah. she, wow, she was older in Guys and Dolls. Yes. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. So she, she was, an, for best and supporting she was, actress, lost to Claire Trevor in Key Largo. Key Largo. Yes. The biggest of the keys. <laughs> biggest of the keys. We, we assume. Yeah. So Hamlet had... Seven nominations, four wins for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Sets and Costumes. Really? Best Sets? Yeah. Yeah. The, it's really beautiful. The, the sets were yeah. very, like, you had Fred this... Bear, but... Yeah, you had this sense of castles in the medieval ages mm-hmm. being just cold and, and uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah, but the lighting like really startling. Yeah. Like, remember the line where Hamlet kind of looks at the part of the castle where Ophelia lives, and it's yeah. like down this long corridor right. with the, yeah, yeah. It's, really, it's kind of a shot out of Citizen Kane. Uh, it lost Best Director to John Houston from Treasurer's Hair Madre. Okay, it lost the Best Supporting Actress, as I said, to the um, P. Largo. Oh, Key Larger. And it lost best score to The Red Shoes, which is a ballet. Okay. So right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So that was Hamlet in 1948. Any final thoughts on that? Uh, do we have to do any more Shakespeare? No. Okay. Unless yeah. you count West Side Story. Oh, what about The Lion King? Oh, well, Lion King, You the only similarities I know, one of our daughters... Uh, one of my daughters said, had told me about the Lion King narrative, but yeah. I mean, you have, I mean, it's a king 
and the right. and I guess the banishment of right. Simba. Uh, uncle. And then you find out the difference being Simba thought it was his fault, but then he finds out it was yeah. the uncle who killed him. Yeah, and the uncle often, and I think the filmmaker said it was based on the Lion King. It's awfully broad. I mean, it's based on, just, Lion right. King was based on Hamlet? Yeah, I would oh, okay. call it nearly an adaptation. No, it's right. Like the, yeah. First of all, the... Hamlet's father is already dead at the beginning. Yeah. Mufasa dies in the middle of the movie. Right. It's not a vengeance tale. Yeah. And the Lion King no. doesn't even know Scar is guilty. Yeah. There's no ghost. Right. Um, and the only thing with finding out Scar is guilty yeah. is that it... It justifies him killing him. <laughs> well, it justifies... justifies him letting him fall to his death. Yeah, which he doesn't even do. You know, right. he tries to save him. Yeah. But it helps him his own psyche know that it wasn't his own fault. Yes. So the, there is a similarity There's where, you've, similarities, where yeah. you've got Simba um, having an existential crisis mm -hmm. when Hamlet also did. Yeah. Also, but, Nala doesn't die. So. Yeah, and Nala is very not similar at all to Ophelia. Right. And there's no Polonius figure. Unless and Nala count, has both parents. Unless you count Zuz, uh, Zazu, but he's not. He's not Ophelia's father. And there's no way. What is um, Simba's mother called? Maybe that's um, Nala? No. Um, no. Anyway, so she would, would never have married Scar. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. What is her name? Sarabi. Oh, I was not going to come up with that. Yeah. Sarabi. Yeah. You looked that up. No, I did not. You did. You've got a mouse in your hands <laughs> right now. You've got a computer in front of you. You looked up. I want to find out what's number 64. Okay, number 64. Ready? So, well, do, 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 do. Are you sticking uh, It's not going to be him. I mean, it's not going to be another. No, I don't have a guess. Okay. Well, you guessed, um, last time you guessed A Man for All Seasons. Do you want to stick oh, that? Oh, Okay. Coming up next, 64, Man for All Seasons. Yes. It's Is that a Best Picture match. winner? Yes. Yeah, that's what huh. you guessed last time. That's a 70s movie. It's not going to match the year because 64 was my fair lady. Yeah. So I'm going to say that it's, I don't know what it is. I'll, I'll say that one. Okay. The Man for All yeah, Seasons. Yeah, uh, last time I went with The Artist, which I still expect to come up. But we are now 30 movies into this countdown. Uh-huh. And we haven't had anything yet from the 70s. It's the only oh, decade yeah. that's untouched. So oh, so it could be I'm a man for all seasons. Say, well, that's 66. Oh, Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Is that going to be your guess instead? Yeah, that'll be my guess. Okay, that's not a bad guess. I, I would guess the first one out of the 70s could be Kramer versus Kramer, but I think it will be Patton. Patton? Oh, so I'd like I'm to see that. I'm going to guess Patton. Okay. But I still get credit that it's the artist because I picked that last week. Okay, I don't know what the artist is. So 64? Well, does that mean that I get credit for... Um, Man for All Seasons? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, we each get to. Ready? Go. What is it? Chicago. Oh. 2002. Wait. I love Chicago. Yeah, you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've seen it a couple of times. Oh, yeah. so we're going to... That's, we're that's gonna the... Uh, he had it coming. He had it coming. Oh, I love that yes. scene. Yeah. So this will be the third movie out of the aughts. Okay. We got that. All right. Until next time.
Dejar. <risa>